Hi, Mary. Wow, this is kind of exciting, isn't it? It is. Here we are. Here we are actually in person for the first time in more than two years. It's incredible. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, you and I have only seen each other in person probably a handful of times recently, haven't we? And we haven't recorded face to face since the very first episode. No. This is quite something. It's very strange feeling like you know someone really well, but then you see them in person, you're like, oh, yeah, no, we actually haven't seen each other really. But extremely exciting. We've got some pretty serious gear here. Be interested if the listeners can tell the difference between us sitting at home with our headphones versus what's sitting in front of us, which I'm glad you set up, Dan, because I'm not sure where I would have started. Yeah, we've gone to town a little bit on some geeky audio gear. So it's all quite exciting. Love to see how this all turns out. You've been waiting for this day, haven't you, Dan? You've been probably researching the whole two years. Oh, I've, I've <laughs> been trying. To buy it. it still meant I was running around London trying to find an XLR cable just before this, which, by the way, are very hard to find these days. No one stocks <laughs> them. So I had to go to some serious audio places. So it's pretty exciting. We should let listeners know sort of the occasion, I suppose. We're here for the LCP Partner Forum, kind of like an annual internal conference, isn't it, really? Absolutely, yeah. So partners all together take a step back all the kind of blue sky thinking, strategic direction, all of that sort of stuff. But yeah, should be a really good day. Looking forward to it. First big in-person event probably since COVID. Yeah, I mean, there's what, 150-ish of us partners now, I think. Yeah, that's pretty big. So I think everyone's quite excited, I think, in getting together, aren't we? Yeah. Indeed. I think we've had not too many, but we've had some COVID-related casualties, which I guess in this day and age you can't really help. But I believe that they're frantically trying to work out a hybrid meeting because not everyone's there in person but we'll leave them to it and we'll get on with our chat I guess. We've got a great location for it as well actually we should say we're literally almost looking out on the London Eye here on the River Thames on what is an absolutely beautiful <laughs> London spring day I have to say it's quite something isn't it? It's really glorious I think having been complaining about whether spring had or hadn't sprung today it certainly has so hoping for more of the same. Yeah. Without going over the top about it, London as a city can give you some tough days, can't it? But days like this, it's really it's pretty special, isn't it? Not a bad day to run around London frantically trying to find a cable. <laughs> Definitely. Not too bad. Okay. Welcome to Investment Uncut. In Investment Uncut, we cut through the noise when it comes to investing. We're digging deeper to try and bring clarity to your investment decisions. I'm Dan Mikulskis. And I'm Mary Spencer. Investment Uncut is brought to you by the investment team at LCP. LCP provide investment advice to some of the largest institutional investors in the UK, including pension funds, wealth managers and sovereign funds. Find out more at lcp.uk.com. Hi, everyone. So this is a podcast about making podcasts, which (laughs) might sound a little bit self-serving and self-indulgent and possibly is, but... It's actually a question I get asked quite a lot. So I thought it'd be nice to get some thoughts down, recorded, so I can point people to it. And it also seems to be something that people are just interested in, really. So less of an investment focus this time. I don't know which I'm least qualified to talk about, but we'll see how we go today. (laughs) So where to start? I mean, the first thing I always say to people is this concept of forming an idea of who your audience is from the very start, even before you have any audience at all. Something that I felt was important and that I still feel is important, to be honest. And I think that hopefully... (laughs) The listeners agree that that gets you away from being too self-indulgent because not only do you want guests that you are yourself interested in, but you've also got to think about whether the audience will actually be interested in listening. And I guess linked to that is the title of the episode. I feel like, I mean, we think you can probably tell the ones we haven't thought quite so hard about, but we try and think quite hard about the title because I think that's a really good way of just reeling people in, but telling them what they should expect. I think that's it. Telling people what they should expect and trying to offer some kind of consistency to it, I think is important. And just that point on forming an idea of the audience, it sort of comes through. When you think about it, we could talk about investing, we could talk about pensions, 
We could talk about economics or get very into the fund management industry. So I think you have to make some of those choices and you've got to form a theory of what your listeners want, even if you might be wrong. I mean, I don't know for sure. None of us do, do we? But I think you've got to form a theory and try and stick to it rather than try and just get sort of blown around by what you want to talk about that week, which can be a real temptation, which I mean, definitely guilty of that sometimes. A hundred percent. And yeah, like, I suppose variety of content, because we obviously try and have a range of the sort of themes that you just mentioned, Dan. So we've got manager related things, specific asset class macro, but specific investment ideas as well. And of course, the sort of more behavioral stuff, which from speaking to people seems like those go down particularly well. They're pretty popular. Exactly. It does, doesn't it? And it's a really good point because we always wrestle, don't we, with the idea of what are the boundaries of what we're covering? That's our brief. And it's never quite clear. And you could definitely accuse us of going a little bit off piste with some of these things. But actually, those are the ones we got some really good feedback on. People seem to actually like it when we go a little bit broader. So I guess that's one of my second reflections, which is you sort of get going, get stuck in, try and get feedback. We've obviously done weekly episodes. So we've got quite a few now. You do get into a rhythm and get a sense of what's working and sort of what's not. So I guess you sort of define the boundaries of what you're trying to do as you go along a little bit. But we've, I guess we've decided to keep ours reasonably wide and open. Absolutely. And not that we talk about things that absolutely no one else is talking about, but we've quite often sat thinking, what should we do next week? Well, this is a really big theme at the moment, but do you know what? Everyone's talking about that. So what more can we add? So trying quite hard to come up with a different angle or a different type of guest or speak about something that isn't just what's all over the news, which is sometimes quite difficult when the news is dominated by a certain factor. But yeah, we'll see how we go on that one. You do realise that, don't you? There is a temptation to try and comment on every current thing, which is a general thing in the industry. We're always trying to do that, but often that's not the most helpful thing. And by the time you produce it anyway, it kind of might be out of date. So it's more trying to pick on those kind of evergreen themes. So Dan, in terms of, we've obviously been doing this for more than two years now, prep time, <laughs> without giving away all of our secrets. For you, how has that evolved over the two years? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think when I talk to people, they often seem to think we do more prep than we actually do. Yeah, <laughs> me too. We do fly pretty tight a lot of the time. I guess we are trying to do a weekly thing. I mean, at the start, I was kind of adamant that I wanted to do it weekly just because I wanted to get that speed of putting stuff out and improve the process. And doing anything weekly is difficult, obviously, but it really forces you to get the process working pretty well and get it working pretty lean. So anyone who's obviously been on the show will know by now what our process is, which is kind of fix the date, get an hour in the diary send around a kind of one page A4 sheet with half a dozen talking points on. Obviously, we have some standard questions that we always say, and then we have a sort of half a dozen areas that we aim to cover as we go through. And then as we sort of going through, you know, you and I are sort of ticking those off, aren't we, between us? And then sort of as we go through. The other point that I've realized is just handling some of the kind of practicalities. So just getting up front when we're going to try and air it, how long it might take the person to, if they need to go through compliance, how long they're going to have to review it, what that process is going to look like, I think is kind of important as well. Absolutely. And I think for me, the thing that's really changed over the two years is two years ago, I probably worried a bit more about doing prep, not just reading the report that we were talking about, but like doing lots of reading around it. And obviously where there's something really interesting, I'm likely to want to do the reading anyway, but I feel less panicked these days if I haven't done all of that prep, because the point here is not that I'm the expert. The point is we've got an expert on the show. So exactly. asking yeah. what might be a stupid question, but might be on other people's lips. 
I'm a lot more comfortable doing, I think, now than I probably was two years ago. Yeah, and that's such a great point. I mean, I think I definitely in the past, and I'm often guilty of wanting to sort of show off basically <laughs> like that you've read all this stuff by asking this kind of really, really insightful question, which implies that you've got this huge body of knowledge. That's just not really necessary most of the time. There's definitely a little bit of reading to do, but often we're talking to guests that we kind of know a bit anyway and know about their stuff, so that helps. But one of my lessons has always been trying to get out of the way of things a little bit more and sort of tee the guest up and but then also try and push people a little bit and sort of go behind which i think part of the reason we don't go overboard with the pre-prepared questions is you do want to kind of not catch them off guard but kind of just get them talking off the cuff rather than to something they've prepared i think is quite important i mean hopefully the listeners don't feel like our episodes are scripted because they're far from that but i think that's the way i'd prefer it to be honest one point i was going to make on the last episode a couple of episodes ago was that my wife doesn't listen to them very often. I think she's got better things to do probably, but she did listen to one of the early ones and I was really keen to see what she thought about it. And it's like, is it any good? Is it any good? And, and she was like, yeah, it's great. But Dan, you need to let Mary talk more. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, I was like, oh my God, I'm not, don't tell me I'm that guy. It's just like totally dominates all the talking, but that has been in my mind the whole time since then. I think, yeah, that was the International Women's Day episode that you were reflecting on that, wasn't it? I don't think I minded that you spoke probably a bit more in the earlier episodes and that's probably because I was feeling like I needed to be more prepped than I did. But it's a difficult balance to strike because I think if one of us has more background knowledge or kind of passion about a certain area, we are likely to be jumping in with more questions. But I think that kind of is just natural in a conversation. Well, it is, but just reflecting on just the obvious point of having two co-hosts to a show, I think is a point that I do make to a lot of people. I think it's almost essential, really. I don't think this concept could have worked so much with just one of us. But what I've realized is yeah, there are some times when I've got a question I'm desperate to ask, but you come in and take the conversation in a different direction. And for a moment, I'm like, oh, damn, I wish I could <laughs> ask that. But that's just part and parcel of having two different viewpoints on a subject. And actually, sometimes you'll ask something, I'm like, oh, wow, never would have thought of that as a way to go here kind of thing. So I think you've got to just take some of that as having the co-host dynamic, I think, does improve things a lot. And I suppose it takes the guesting directions that might be more sort of twisty-turny, but actually you get quite a full flavour of what they're talking about by doing that. It certainly makes it practically easier as well, actually. I always say that to anyone trying to do, do a podcast, is that, for example, if I was doing it by myself, I'd have to do a lot more prep to know exactly where you were going to go with each question. Whereas having two of us, one of us can reflect a little bit about where we're going next, while the other one's still sort of asking a question. The only thing I worry sometimes is that from the guest perspective, it can feel a bit like kind of... A barrage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Two of us coming at them kind of left, right, left, right, left, right. So, so anyone who's been a guest on the show, please tell us if that's what it's like. No one's told us so far, have they? No, no one said that. Just while we're still talking practicalities around, around how we actually do this, great opportunity to shout out some of the wider team that we're really lucky to have, I think, working on it. We're really lucky to be supported by a great team internally at LCP and externally. Uh, I think that makes it just so much easier for, for, for you and I, doesn't it, Mary? And um, so that, that team internally is Harriet, Lauren, Elise, and Andrea. Harriet helps us with project management, doing all sorts of things behind the scenes, trafficking episodes, getting them in the right places, doing websites and things. Elise helps us with, with booking and arranging guests, which is a really big part of running an ongoing weekly podcast, I think. Lauren helps us with a lot of the copy drafting and editing for sort of for the websites and all the, the notes pages we put up. And Andrea helps us with social media and getting things like the Spotify account and the SoundCloud accounts sort of all set up and working. Some really good support there. And as we said, we use an external producer. We use Matthew Passy, who is the podcastconsultant.com. Him and his team are in the States, and I think they do a great job of making all the episodes sound uh, super, super professional. 
as well as helping us with you know with loads of other knowledge about podcasts. He works on some really big podcasts, so it's always really interesting to to, to get some of the knowledge on on some of the technical side. One thing we thought a lot about, I think, is timing, isn't it? The actual length of the episodes. I don't think we do all that well on that because I think from memory, season one were longer episodes. They were sort of maybe fifty to sixty minutes. Season two, we were really strict with ourselves. We brought it down to much closer to half an hour. And we've had some really, really interesting conversations recently. And we've been running more like sort of 40 minutes, I would say. Hopefully 40 minutes is still okay with people commuting and that sort of thing. But I know when I listen to episodes of other podcasts, the sort of 30 minute mark is a little bit magic, I think. But I think 30 to 40 is probably okay. But we were keen to bring it down from the sort of very long lengths. I feel the same. I, I think whenever I've seen a podcast episode that starts with a five or even like a one hour, I'm just kind of less inclined to listen to it. I agree with that. But what you find is that time just goes so fast. Half an hour, you just it's just gone. And if anything, what I don't like about those episodes is it doesn't feel like it's a really deep discussion quite often. It does feel like it's reasonably thin veneer of stuff. One thing in favor of the long form episodes is it's a really good deep exploration of a subject. I suppose the only thing is, so if I'm starting to listen to a podcast and it's a bit long, I kind of accept I won't listen to it in one go. And I always think that's, I don't know how other people feel, but I feel like that's a bit of a shame. I kind of, I'd much rather listen to an episode and I listen to the whole thing. And even if I've listened to it on a journey and I haven't quite finished listening to it and I finished my journey, but there's only three minutes left, I'll definitely keep listening. Whereas if it's like, I've got a half hour journey and it's an hour long episode, I'm probably going to listen to those two halves, I don't know, a few days apart. I feel like that kind of loses a bit of yeah, the gist. Yeah, it, it does. It's a funny one that it should make perfect sense, shouldn't it, to listen to it in two parts. But for some reason, I always resist the idea of that. Like if I see a long one, I should just tell myself, oh, I'll just listen it in two parts, but I just don't. So yeah, I suppose the conclusion maybe is that we just want this stuff to get listened to by as many people as possible. And if that means just keeping the conversations a little bit shallower into a shorter time, then that's probably the way to go. And I suppose, I mean, the way we talked about identifying the audience what people are doing when they listen to podcast episodes is probably changing almost day to day at the moment because of obviously COVID and lockdowns and hybrid working and all the other stuff people are sort of grappling with. I know for myself, I like to listen to podcasts when I'm doing other stuff. So I probably would be quite happy with stuff that's a bit higher level. So I'm kind of just getting the gist. I'm getting headlines. I'm getting things that I can remember and repeat afterwards. And lots of intricate numbers are probably going to just go over my head because I'm doing other stuff at the same time. But I'm a multitasker that doesn't multitask all that well. So the way I listen to podcast episodes, I don't really mind that. But obviously, some podcasts go into loads of depth in a certain topic. And there's certainly value in that too. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, COVID, of course, completely changed things because I wasn't listening to them on my commute anymore like I was before. And you just get shorter chunks of the day when it's kind of socially acceptable to wander around with your headphones in, <laughs> yeah. listening to something, being totally zoned out, tripping over things, which is what I normally do. So that sort of changes the listening preferences as well. Has it changed making a podcast? Has it changed how you listen to podcasts? I think so. I mean, over the last two years, the main time I listen to them is when I'm like in the gym or running, really. Or just very short ones when I'm sitting down to have a coffee or something. Like, but that would literally need to be a 10 minute kind of thing. Whereas before that, it was on the commute where you can just end up listening to a lot more on a commute because it's just more time. I definitely think I notice a bit more kind of if there's co-hosts, how they interact with each other and like the pace of speaking. Desert Island Discs, for example, Lauren Laverne has a very consistent tone when she asks questions. She speaks quite sort of slowly. But the point of that is the intro music. It's all about being on a desert island. It's supposed to be sort of relaxing and whimsical and all of that sort of stuff. And then you listen to 
animal spirits, for example, and they're high energy and they're kind of quick talking really fast and they're sort of talking over each other a bit, but that's their gist. So I sort of noticed those differences, I think, more than I might have done before. That is a really good point, actually, the the overall energy of stuff. Most of the stuff I listen to is probably more in that latter camp, the kind of more sort of high energy, just kind of try and make it funny and give me some info quickly. I'm definitely more sensitive to little things like sound quality. It's sometimes obvious if there hasn't been post-produced or if one input is much louder than the other. It really annoys me when you get a podcast where the guest is much quieter because you've got to constantly play with the volume or get yourself deafened when the other person comes on. So are you saying, Dan, that being a podcast co-host has made you a podcast snob? Or were you already a podcast snob? No, it's made me more a podcast snob for sure. Yeah, definitely. Should we touch quickly on internal versus external guests and that kind of point? Because I don't think we had any strong feeling about that at the start, did we? And we obviously have loads of fantastic colleagues at LCP, but I think one of the lessons is people just like hearing from a broader range of people in the industry and putting on lots of people that are from LCP can seem like it's a little bit sort of self-serving and us just trying to push out our content kind of thing. So I think, yeah, what we found is it's a lot of the external ones that have been really successful, isn't it? And I think we've been very lucky that people have generally said yes to us and keep saying yes. Yes. I'm always impressed with the people that you managed to get on the show, Dan. It's an interesting balance. And obviously we do get a balance. So we do still ask lots of internal guests. I'm sort of tempted to, because I see lots of the LCP material, of course, I see it like every day and I speak to my colleagues and I know what they say and do is really interesting, but I've heard it. So sometimes I'm thinking, well, is that interesting? Because I kind of already know that stuff. But I think there is definitely merit in remembering that not everyone will see all of the stuff that we see internally. So there's definitely still a place for the internal guest. But I mean, I'm with you. For me, it's more sort of more interesting. Sounds really harsh on our colleagues, but it's just different, isn't it? Speaking to an external guest. So I feel like I don't know so much where the conversation will go. Exactly. I mean, when I'm looking at other podcasts, I'm often looking at the guests to see if I'm going to listen to it or not. The only exception to that is Animal Spirits, where they don't have any guests. It's just the two of them. It's just because I know that's good and they've always got interesting things to say. One question that's been on my mind, do you think we push guests hard enough sometimes on the questioning? I do think that's a real skill as an interviewer. And I do wonder if sometimes we just sort of tee the questions up and could push harder. What do you think on that? I think you're probably right. I think we don't want to create conflict on the podcast, (laughs) but I also think that having different views can make a really interesting discussion, which I think is human nature. We probably have people who we've heard somewhere else and we think, oh, I really agree with the stuff they're saying. Let's get them on the podcast. So you kind of already know that you're relatively well aligned with their views. One thing we could do, interested if any listeners have a strong view on this, is almost stage a debate. We very occasionally have had more than one guest and that might be the way to do it or to have at least to know we're going to have opposing views. But that might just be me being a chicken and thinking that's the nice, soft, easy way of having different views rather than just pushing guests. I think it's really difficult. And as a host, the only way you can do that, I think, is you obviously need to have a pretty solid body of knowledge yourself on that area, don't you? If you're going to do that, the sort of, I don't know, the kind of Jeremy Paxman type role I'm thinking of there a little bit, where someone's incredibly knowledgeable themselves and then they can hold a bit of a debate. So that basically goes completely against our first comment about prep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it would would do, exactly. Yeah, You hit on a really good point there as well around the format of the episodes. Obviously, we've got a pretty standard format that we follow most of the time. We're following different formats a day. We've done two or three where it's just been you and I we've done some book clubs we've done the uncorrelated reflections where we had two guests at the same time didn't we so a few different things there any thoughts coming out of all that I think that two guests makes me feel slightly less comfortable because four people trying to talk and it's trying to keep it to half an hour is kind of just tricky book club I love the book club episodes but I'm just such a nightmare for that sort of thing because I will always just read it with no time so I think the one I enjoyed recording the most was the 
I'm going to forget the name of the book now, the one we did last year, Rebel Ideas, Rebel Ideas yeah. which I think I'd already started reading it when we decided to do it for book club, which helped me with timing. And we recorded it just after Christmas and I read it over Christmas, which also helped me with timing. But most of the other book clubs we've done, I just always end up reading the last bit in a bit of a rush. So we've read some really good books and I find them really interesting discussions. And I have had comments from people who've listened to the book club and then said, oh, I'm going to read the book now, which I think is an interesting way round. I was going to wonder that, whether that works, whether the book club episodes work for people that haven't read the book, because it's quite a high bar, isn't it? If you can only listen to it, if you've read it, and let's just can rule out a lot of people. I mean, I think we've also tried to choose books that are not too intricate in that sense. Yeah. They're sort of, all of them, if they're not already, could be probably a Hollywood film in some sense, I think, which is probably helpful for the book club because you can get some of that story across without people having read the detail. I'm definitely with you on the two guests thing. I think that is difficult. Don't generally recommend people go that way just because, yeah, it's quite hard to manage four people in a short amount of time. You just don't get much chance to say stuff. The one guest probably works better. I agree, the book club I've really enjoyed, but I just don't know whether... It's the same for the listeners because they have to have read the book and not many will. Maybe those ones haven't done quite as well. Absolutely. So I guess ideas for the future. Part of the reason for doing this episode was that unbelievably, we are fast closing in on 100 episodes that we've done, which I kind of find kind of blows my mind a little bit. It really does. I suppose, I mean, we work in the industry. We know there's a whole host of things to talk about, but it is incredible. We've done 100 episodes and there's been a little bit of like, we've done a macro episode and we've done another macro episode, but there's not that much overlap which is kind of crazy. We just talk about this, don't we? We do plan a little way out sometimes of each quarter, don't we? We kind of try and brainstorm the next kind of 10, 15 ideas for guests and then sort of try and make it happen. But sometimes it does feel like we're never more than a couple of weeks away from totally running out of content, but something always comes along to sort of bail us out. And as I always keep saying in those situations, there's a podcast that I listen to actually that's really good, done by a chap called Mark Williams, and he's done 350 episodes on the subject of LinkedIn. Oh, wow. Of course you <laughs> I, love that, Dan. <laughs> I, I do love it. And they're all brilliant. They're all absolutely brilliant. I recommend anyone to listen to it. But I always think if he can do 350 episodes on LinkedIn, we ought to be able to do the same on the whole subject of investing because there is just so much to go at and it's such a changing field. So hopefully we'll, yeah, there's always be ideas there. On the subject of changing field, we did experiment very briefly with Clubhouse last summer. Obviously, the podcast arena is changing all the time. What's the latest ones we've been considering? There's the YouTube potential idea i'd love to do some youtube episodes we just need to get like a proper recording studio and like a webcam and stuff and then we're set to go but we're halfway there with this kit so it would be cool to do some in-person ones that we can put on youtube it's partly because it's more interactive actually because what always frustrates me about podcast apps is that you can't comment directly in the app sort of thing it relies on a social media link and i've always thought there should be more of a link between social media apps and podcasting apps it just makes sense i think twitter and spotify should merge that's sort of lacking. But the one place you can do that is YouTube. And obviously, YouTube just has a massive audience as well and has a very good discovery algorithm. So you just get a much higher chance of being seen by a lot of people there. So that's another step in the process. So hoping to do some YouTubes. Clubhouse, yeah, it didn't really work, did it? Clubhouse itself had its issues. Seems like it might be coming back. It looks like LinkedIn and putting an audio platform. So I'm really interested to see what we can do with that. And some of that is more around kind of almost like live podcast, live audio and the events with guests and stuff. So hopefully some of this has been good practice for that. Yeah, a bit of a watch this space, I suppose. But don't assume it's always only going to be on your podcast app of your choice because we might be slightly broader from time to time. Yeah, exactly. I've always thought that audio is quite a powerful format. And although it's podcasts are 20 years old, for goodness sake, they kind of came around with the original iPod, but they're still gaining popularity and going pretty well. So I think the audio format has got quite a long way to go, actually. So quite interesting to see how it goes. 
Another thing I've noticed is, I don't know if you noticed it, I feel it does help me generally with webinars and things like that to make them slightly better. I've tried to map over some of those ideas. Yeah, I suppose the obvious point with the podcast is that it's a much more casual conversation. And I think that when you then present, and obviously webinars is only a thing really because of COVID, it would have been a presentation in real life before that. But I do think with either forum, there's always a temptation when you're going to a conference and speaking or going doing a webinar and speaking that you write a script and you read your script and you make everything very formal, which isn't really the way that I take in information. No, so I'm not no. sure why anyone else would take information like that. It's so funny. As soon as someone's reading from a script, it just becomes so much less sticky. That information somehow it just washes over you in a way that it doesn't if it actually sounds like a conversation. Quite a subtle thing. Should we start to wrap up then? We should do our normal wrap-up questions. So go on then. What's one thing you'd like listeners to take away from this? Anyone who's interested in doing a podcast, what would be your top, top thing? My absolute top thing would be you don't have to be an expert to be a podcast host. Good, great, good one. I would probably go back to that point around saying just form a theory of who your audience are and what they want and try and stick to it. Nice. What's the next one? Most underappreciated thing about podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, most underappreciated. I would say we've talked about prep time coming down, but if you're doing a weekly podcast, it is you're constantly thinking about it. And I think that potentially time commitment maybe doesn't go underappreciated, but the sort of thought process of what's my next episode and how am I thinking about this and how will I make it interesting? That bit, I think, is probably less appreciated. Yeah, because people often say, how much time does it take you each week? I can't really answer that for the reason you just said, because a lot of the energy you're putting into it is thinking about who's the next guest? How am I going to plan it? How are we going to sequence these things? What questions am I going to ask? Those aren't the kind of things you just schedule into your diary and sit down and can get done in an hour. Sometimes they can occur to you in one minute. Other times you might have to be racking your brain for days and days to kind of do it. So it's a lot of, it doesn't consume a lot of your kind of diary work time, but it consumes like headspace and stuff. Okay, then, and Dan, recommendations. We filter some recommendations from ourselves through the episodes, don't we? But do you have any recommendations for the listeners? For podcasts? Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Only about 100,000 different ones. The one I listen to almost every single week is Animal Spirits with Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson. I know from speaking to people, quite a lot of people do listen to that anyway. They both work for Ritholtz Wealth Management in the US and they just have a very different take, sort of slightly, I don't know, funny, irreverent, casual take on stuff, which is just so refreshing in our industry. And I've noticed my experiences, if you can just bring the slightest hint of that kind of authentic casualness to it, people really love it because people are so starved of that. There's so much stilted, stiff kind of content that their stuff has gone down really well. So their podcast is very popular. It's a really good take on Markets Weekly. Their firm does a load of other podcasts, a lot of which are quite good. The Compound and Friends is one of them. Our recent guest, Alison Schrager, was on that as well the week before, which was quite cool. And then the other one, oh God, there's so many more, but another big one is Odd Lots, which is a Bloomberg podcast. Oh, yeah. Bloomberg do pretty good podcasts, actually. So that's with Lisa Abramowitz and Joe Weisenthal. They're the two co-hosts and they have a guest each week as well. Their guests are just really good and really interesting. They're sometimes a bit niche but they get just brilliant guests on a range of things. But that's one where I'll always look at who the guest is and if it's something I'm sort of interested in. I'm going to go on far too long here, but The Economist, <laughs> my favorite source of all information, has a very good slate of podcasts as well. So I'd say The Economist and Bloomberg are by, by far and away the better podcasting platforms out there in the general media. But The Economist has about six or seven different podcasts, all of which are pretty good. And they do a really good job of consistent length in terms of time and just the consistency in terms of what they're delivering. They might call it the brand promise, if you like, if you were a sort of a branding guru. 
you just know what you're going to get, which I do think is a big part of it. I was going to actually pinpoint The Economist as well, because I think, I don't know exactly which podcast it is, but the one that's kind of a daily, this is what's happening, and it's the same length, and it's pretty short, and you could listen to it where you have a cup of tea in the morning, and it just makes you feel like you're a little bit more on top of what people might be talking about in the office, in meetings, that sort of thing. You know, that panic maybe you have when you wake up and you think, what happened overnight? Do I need to like read the FT to work out what's going on? I think The Economist is a really good way of just getting the headlines there. My other one I mentioned already, but Desert Island Discs, I just think it's great. I just think it's really good. She gets such a good range of guests and you hear such interesting things about their lives as well as the sort of work that they do. The latest one I listened to was David Spiegelhalter. Oh, who, right. Yeah, he's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super, super interesting. You feel like you know more about their life and you know about their music taste, but actually he was talking a lot about misuse of statistics, which I know he feels very passionately about. And that was great. And I just, I listened to that while I walked back from Park Run, but it was really interesting. I'm going to check that out because I need to diversify my podcast audience <laughs> a little bit. They're quite stacked up on the finance and investment side. Desert Island is true. As I mean, as a concept, it's been going for so long, hasn't it? Which yeah. I guess is because it works and people really love it. And it's a good concept. I just remember one thing I was desperate to say as well, I just forgot. So we missed out the most underappreciated thing. But one thing I always say to people is it is really hard to edit 50 minutes of content down to 30 minutes or 60 uh, minutes yeah. down to 30 minutes. If you're doing a podcast, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you have to do that every week because that is a massive amount of work. Because you've got to go backwards and forwards through the audio thinking, do they refer to this bit later? Do they come back to that? Do they mention it? Is it going to seem right? Which bit, where exactly do I want to chop it? So we've got to a place now where I, we spend a lot less time, I think, doing that editing because generally we can do it in one take or there's just a few little bits we've got to take out and we use a producer as well. So we're not doing that ourselves, but just the amount of time it would take to edit content vastly down is just not worth it. If you know what time you want the podcast to be, you need to record to close to that really. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up for a big challenge. Very good point. And actually, maybe other thing just to finish on, the other massively underappreciated thing, I think, is just how fun and rewarding it's been, to be totally honest. I mean, I think it's one of the funniest things I've done at work in the last few years. It's hard to believe it's part of my day job, I have to say. But yeah, it's great. It's really great. And that outweighs all the other stuff about time taken and prep and all that sort of stuff, for sure. Brilliant. Well, thanks for bearing with us, everyone, and supporting us. And do please let us know what you think about all these ideas. We do try and think and reflect, as you can hear, sort of change things a little bit. So do let us know if you've got views on any of the areas we sort of chatted about. We'll look to incorporate it. Absolutely. Always want your feedback. Well, that's it from us this week on a very special episode of Investment Uncut. Take care, everyone, and we'll speak to you soon. Cool. Let's go and check out this partner forum thing. Absolutely. Our podcast is for information and marketing purposes only and does not constitute any form of investment or financial advice. For more information, please refer to our marketing privacy policy on the LCP website.